it's a dangerous thing to talk together in a church about the habits that make us chronically unhappy because when that happens, when the pastor stands up to talk about the habits that you yourself know that you've got to deal with, it's very easy to start getting down on yourself. Would you please not do that this morning? If you are much less happy than you would be because you ignore problems to deal with them, welcome to the club. And you have a choice this morning, and it is how you will deal with that. Will you be ashamed of yourself and look down on yourself even more? And you are free to do that. But will you be hopeful? And you're free to do that because that is how God regards every one of us with hope. And so that's what I'm going to ask you at the start. As we talk about the kinds of habits that rob us of joy and keep us separated from the lives that God makes us for, we are invited to be hopeful people who are joyful rather than down on ourselves because God in Christ is right here with us to help us in the way that we need help and in the way we can't help ourselves. That's true. Would you take that to heart? Yes or no? Then we can keep going. Your ability to ignore problems is rooted in your physiology. There are people in this room who, who are wise enough to know a bit about brain chemistry and, and neurophysiology, and they could tell you that your brain regularly edits out things in your field of vision that are unhelpful for you in order to make it easier for you to get through life. Here, put your hand in front of your nose like this. Don't look at me. Look at your hand and stare at the center of your palm and then listen, can you see your nose? Probably before I said it, you didn't see your nose. But when I said that, if you close one eye and then the other, you see your nose is right there. But your brain filters out your nose by combining what your left eye sees and what your right eye sees. And the part of your nose that blocks, blocks your left vision is replaced by what your right eye makes of that area and vice versa. So it's as if you can't see the nose right in front of your face. And your brain does that with your nose in a way that is really helpful. But now listen. Your heart and your mind are going to conspire together to do the same thing with your problems in a way that's unhelpful. Your heart is going to feel bad about that thing. Your brain is going to tell you you can't manage it. And those two, just like your left and your right eye, they conspire together to filter that thing out of your field of vision because you think, I can't do it. And you feel like, how would I be able to? I'm just too afraid. And so you ignore the trouble that your kid's getting himself into. And you say to yourself, it's not a big deal. Or you say, I'm just going to keep positive, even though that problem with your spouse, it's persisting. And you can tell yourself, ah, I don't need to get that call from the bank. The question for you right now and, and, and I don't even want to say the question. I'm going to tell you what. You should be with me now to say, let me try a different approach. Okay? I'm not going to get down on myself, but I'm going to acknowledge this pattern in me of ignoring the things in life that I wish were different, and that's not working. Can anyone see something in their own life right now like that? It can be a small thing or a very big thing. You can? All right. You are here on purpose. It's a very good thing for you to be here right now. This is God's wisdom from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20. Listen now, take this to heart. Those who are attentive to a matter will prosper. 
and happy are those who trust in the Lord. Okay, there's a promise and then a description of a kind of person. And here's what it says. You're, listen now, I'm gonna give you my whole message in 35 words. If you pay attention to your problems, you will succeed. But if you ignore them, eventually you'll be miserable. God wants you to be happy trusting him. Facing your problems with the help that he gives. That's 35 words, my whole message. Have you got it? Well, I'm going to add some more words anyway. So (laughs) we're going to expand it one clause at a time. Look at the first phrase again. Those who are attentive to a matter will prosper. There are many matters in your life which require attention. Your homework, and I'm sorry to bring that up, but it's due tomorrow. Or keeping your bedroom clean. Your responsibilities at the office. Uh, Basic car maintenance or home maintenance. The health and well-being of your body. All of these require maintenance. In each case, this is common sense, right? You prosper when you pay attention to those things. In Hebrew, the word, the verb here, attention, literally means look into or look toward. Things go well when you look toward those uh, events in your life or those things in your life which require maintenance. But if you habitually look away, which is the opposite, then things don't go well. If your room is messy today and you look away from it, it's gonna be more messy tomorrow. If the brakes on your car are squeaking, Soon, you're going to have to replace your rotors as well. And I know because my brakes squeaked on the way in here this morning. (laughs) Look at the second clause. And happy are those who trust in the Lord. These two statements are related to one another. The events in your life that require maintenance, God knows about them. God wants you to pay attention to them. Because what God wants for you is that you should have a life which is happy, trusting him. Let that sink in for a moment. It does not mean that if you're not happy right now, somehow that's another thing for you to say, well, I must be failing at this as well since God wants me to be happy and another thing I'm failing at. If you are miserable, please don't do that to yourself right now. But trust me right now. Listen, God means for you to have a life which is happy trusting him. If you read the entire book of Proverbs from start to finish, you will find that it's like a roadmap for a life of happiness. If you go to the book of Psalms and you start at Psalm 1, the first word you come across is the word happy. Happy are those who. It's a depiction of life where a person trusts herself to God and as a result has a fulfilling, satisfied, happy life. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's a writer who spent his whole life studying the human condition and in an unvarnished way he presents his findings and he says there's nothing better for them than that they should eat and drink and enjoy all the days of their toil. They should be happy. If you go to the prophets of Israel, you'll find again and again that they acknowledge the misery of the present and then they say, God promises someday to come and overturn all of this misery and turn it into joy instead so that there is dancing instead of mourning, so there's laughter instead of weeping, so there's singing instead of sighing. God's intention is to turn over all this misery and bring happiness. You come to Jesus, the first 
sermon that he preaches, which is recorded at length in the gospel, it, it begins with a picture of supreme happiness. Some of you know the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who. That's another way of saying this is what supreme happiness looks like. When Jesus invites people to come to him, it is so that they would receive rest for their souls. He says this, if you're weary and carrying heavy burdens, you come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. That's another way of saying happiness. Have I convinced you? If you've not got it, one of the primary causes in my experience of the misery that we find ourselves in is unaddressed habits that keep us trapped in places where it's inevitable that we'll be miserable. Uh, this is the reason that we're taking these two months to stay on this theme. God wants us to be people of joy, not people who are miserable. And let me add one last thing. This is an aside. It's not even in here. I'm going to say this is right off the top of my head. When you are free from misery, you are a powerful and a mighty instrument in God's hands for the well-being of other people. And you are not meant to care about your own well-being for yourself. If you do, you're going to have a hard time walking with Jesus. He made people well so that they would be the instruments he used to make others well. And the secret is, there's nothing that makes you better than being in his hands, an instrument of well-being to others. And so all of the themes that we're dealing with in this series of sermons are pertinent to finding the pathway. This one this morning, the theme of ignoring our problems as a strategy to deal with them, which even as I say it, it sounds absurd. It is. But I know about this because I also do it. Of all of the habits that I'll talk about, this was the hardest one for me to write a sermon on because I do this. And I have, I'm not just like, sitting around doing nothing. I've got lots of things to distract me from the things that I have an easy enough time saying, I, I, you know what, I'll just pretend it's not there. If you trust the Lord, you find your way to happiness. Okay, that's what it says there in the second clause in Proverbs. And, and one way to trust the Lord is to trust his teaching. You know that Jesus taught. And one of the things that Jesus taught about was how to face problems rather than to ignore them. And if you have a Bible, find your way to Matthew chapter 18. In, in, in the teaching we're going to study this morning, we overhear Jesus instructing his followers how to face, how to look toward rather than away from the kind of problems that followers of Jesus will inevitably encounter, and that is trouble with interpersonal relationships. Does anybody have that in their life? And, and you, be, you be honest with yourself right now. When you encounter conflict interpersonally, do you find yourself pulled toward dealing with it by looking the other way? Okay. Jesus instructed the disciples in this matter. His teaching includes a very clear strategy for how not to look away from, but rather go toward problems. It is directly addressed toward issues within the community of faith, but the principles that it reveals can be lifted and used for any problem that requires maintenance in your life that you are inclined to ignore, okay? So let's start in, in verse 15. He lays out a strategy for how to go toward rather than away from problems. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you 
so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus wants them to picture a hypothetical situation which he knows they're going to find themselves in, where another person who they depend on, someone within their social sphere, does the wrong thing to them. Relationships require attention, especially when there's conflict. And what Jesus knows is how easy it is for people to deal with conflict in relationships that are important to them by looking the other way and avoiding the problems. And he also knows how miserable life becomes when you pursue that strategy for dealing with problems in relationship. Do you know that also? It happens with your friends. If you're in school and one of your friends does the wrong thing against you and you don't deal with it, it becomes really hard to go to class or to be in the cafeteria. It happens at work. In the office, if someone's not pulling their weight and it's a problem and nobody's talking about it, it makes it hard to be comfortable and productive in the office. It happens at home for sure, doesn't it? Around the dinner table. And some of us, and this might be you right now, have become expert in ignoring the problems that are going on between you and your spouse or you and your parents or you and your children. Do not despair. Please be hopeful, okay? Jesus has good word for you. It happens in churches too, and that's what Jesus was thinking here. And here... In this text, he gives those folks four steps, and we're going to take them one at a time to learn how to face our problems rather than ignoring them. All right? The first step is in his opening line. Let's look at it again together, where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you. So now this is, the step here is something that Jesus means you to have happening in your mind, paying attention to something that has happened to you. You know, he had to start here because some of us are so habitually afraid of dealing with conflict that we don't even let our own minds acknowledge what's happening to us. Does anybody have that experience? If your brother sins against you, sin is strong language. Sin is any behavior that is contrary to God's will. Jesus is saying if someone has an attitude toward you or acts toward you in a way that is against God's way, that clashes with the way that God tells people to regard and work with one another. If that happens, Jesus says, the first thing is you've got to let your own mind see that that's happening. I know, by the way, that sin is a strong enough word that many of us will be afraid to use it these days. We are conditioned from every angle to believe the most important virtue is tolerance. And so you never say a negative word about anything. Here we have permission from Jesus to call sin, sin. It is okay to say in your own mind, that thing that happened right there was a sin against me. And this first step is something that you're to do up here. Jesus is not saying, as soon as you notice that, run to the person who has wronged you and tell them to their face, you sinned against me. How do you think that'll go? (laughs) No, what he's saying is step one is to name it in your own heart and your own mind. When your mind says, ah, it's not a big deal, you deserve that. You say, no, that's a sin against me. When your heart says, I'm so hurt, I can't even acknowledge it, I'll just pretend that was nothing. No, you, you can and you should name what's happening that's wrong in your relationships. You should be clear that this was not right and I don't need to deny it and I can accept This is what's happened. How to deal with that person after acknowledging it, that's step three. So don't run ahead from yourself. But this step is something that you must do, whether it's a relationship problem 
or something mundane and ordinary that you're inclined to ignore is you've got to accept in your mind and in your heart, you have to accept it for what it is and name it, okay? Um, that squeak is not going to go away. It's going to get worse. I have to get my brake rotors changed. And if you heard me say that, remind me after the service because it's true, my, okay? If you'll do this, you're going to short circuit your heart and your mind's way of colluding together to make you filter out problems when you name them, okay? Then you can't do it as well. And, and you need to do that because if you don't, if you don't practice, first of all, naming the things around you that are wrong, they are only going to get worse and it's only gonna be harder for you to address them. So now if you're in that place, and I've been in this place too, where you've put it off so long that it's even harder to do it. Have you, are any of you there? Maybe you're thinking about that thing. The best time to address that problem was back then, but back then is gone. So the second best time is now. And so for the parent, and let's be concrete, for the parent who has a, a, a little child who is deeply disrespectful to mom, and they're inclined to laugh about it because it's cute after all. Look how small that child is. You need to address that because it's only going to get worse, especially when she grows up and treats you like that. You don't want that. Or for the coworker who jokes uh, about something with you at work and everybody laughs and you laugh on the outside, but on the inside it really hurts, you need to say to yourself, it is a sin the way that person degrades me. It's not okay. It's not right for them to be inhuman, inhumane toward me like that. It's a sin. Again, don't say it to them just yet, but that's where you have to start, okay? To be, again, mundane. If you hear a dripping coming from downstairs in the basement and you're on the couch, don't deal with it by turning the volume up on the reruns of the U.S. Open tennis match that you're watching. You, okay? Again, not that I know anything about that, but the first step is to name it. Okay? Once you've named it and been able to say, this is wrong, the next step comes in what Jesus says you should do next. He says this, go and point out the fault. Now, he says this because he knows everything. And one thing Jesus knows is that often when we are able to name that problem, we're going to go away from it because that's how we've learned to deal with it. And here he's talking to a single community of disciples and he's asking them to imagine this scenario where one of that group has sinned against the other and they're picturing this now and he knows that when that happens in a community of faith that instinctively the guy who's been hurt is going to want to put some distance here because Christians know that they're supposed to be nice. And so we deal with it by saying, well, I can't confront that person because that would be unkind and I, I don't want to make them feel bad. Has anyone in here done this enough to admit it? I do it. You are not actually prioritizing their feelings. You don't know this. You're actually prioritizing your own need for comfort because it's going to make you uncomfortable to talk with them. So I'm not condemning you. Let's just be honest. You also want to preserve your own comfort. And so you're going to want to go away from them. But here Jesus says, you, you, you shouldn't do that because he knows what will happen if you do. When you stay away from them, oh, those feelings are going to stew. And what will be brewing there is a very bitter meal. And you're actually not going to eat that meal by yourself. You're going to gather some other friends who know that person, and you're going to share it with them so that all of you make a little coalition against that other person who probably has no idea why you're so icy or why you're not returning their calls because you haven't told them, and they just don't know. They said it by mistake. Do you know this, yes or no? 
The same thing happens in your friendship group at school. It happens in the office if someone's not pulling their weight. If you don't deal with it by going this way, but instead run away from it, it is a guarantee that you're putting yourself on the road where your chronic unhappiness is much more likely than the kind of thriving that God wants you for. And so what Jesus says to you this morning is go and initiate a conversation. Deal with it head on. Here's Jesus' second step. Move toward it. Go toward it. And that's counterintuitive often for us. Let me just add this as an aside. There's probably a few people in here who are too aggressive. You need to slow down, all right? Like, so if that's you, this isn't for you. But for the rest of us, right? Some people are like, I gotta get a fight. I, I'm not happy unless I'm fighting with somebody. That, don't listen. The rest of you, we gotta move toward those problems. Here, this is another word of caution. And this one's not funny. There are lots of conflicts in life where the cause is an imbalance of power, where one person's above another, really hurting them. And in that case, this also doesn't apply. Move away from that person. If it's a child who's being mistreated by an adult, that child's not supposed to move toward them to solve the problem. They need to get away. Let's be a church that's open to kids who need a safe space to get away. If you're in an abusive marriage, and sadly there are abusive marriages, Sometimes religious communities say, you have to stay no matter what. Sometimes I think Jesus would say, that's an abusive situation. You got to get away. Move away from that right now, okay? But listen now, don't let those extraordinary cases keep you from learning right now that probably there are some problems in your life right now where it's not an imbalance of power that's causing you to move away, where it's not danger for you. God's given you exactly what you need to to be engaged in that problem, but still, you are dealing with it by going away from it. And this morning, Jesus, as he teaches these disciples to go and talk to them, he's saying to you, you gotta move toward that. I don't know what that problem is for you. I, I've named a few for me. But what is it for you? Let that come into your mind right now. And let that come into your mind because God has you here this morning to help you. And, and, and Jesus is teaching these disciples, and through this word, he's teaching us to help us. So let that come into your mind. What are the problems that you're dealing with right now by ignoring them? That Jesus is saying, you need to go toward that. It might be a, something with your spouse. It might be with your kids or your parents or with friends. Where, this is the practical question to ask, where is Jesus saying to you, Pay attention and, and stop looking away from it. You'll prosper when you look toward it. I know this right now, um, that if you're a practical person and you're thinking about a real problem, you might be thinking, I, I'm not sure how to handle it. Uh, maybe you haven't had a good model for how to deal with things head on, okay? Jesus knew that some of the disciples hadn't had a good model, and that's why he added the third step. Okay, here, let's go back one more time again to what he says. Once you've named that problem and then you've decided to move toward it, here's how you should point out what has happened according to Jesus. He says this, you should point it out when the two of you are alone. Okay, try again to envision when this was first shared. It was with a group of disciples it wasn't a group of disciples who came to church once a week for an hour together, but they lived together all the time. They were a traveling a group of students with this teacher who never, ever were away from each other while they were... Have you ever been in an environment like that? 
Like maybe it was your college dorm life or something like that. But these guys never got away from each other. And so Jesus knew that the only way they're going to address these problems effectively is when they're strategic enough to take the step of cutting time away from their ordinary life so that they can just be one-on-one. Because if you try to bring a problem up in a group like that, Jesus knows it's not going to work at all. What you need to do, and this is the third step with Jesus' guidance for dealing with problems, is you need to be tactful. Because when you deal with a problem is as important many times as whether you deal with that problem. Have you ever been in a situation where one person addresses the faults of another person and they do it at the wrong time and it's just really awkward? Have you? You ever been over a friend's house for dinner? They invite you over. It's a dinner party. And then he starts telling her what's wrong with her in front of everybody. No one else has been there. That's an ugly spot, isn't it? If you invite people to your house and you do that, they're not going to come back the next time you invite them. And it's not going to work. It's just going to grind the dignity of your partner into the ground. It's going to make them resent you even more. It's certainly not going to help. And Jesus knows that, which is why his guidance to these disciples here involves the kind of tactfulness that maintains the dignity of the other person, that comes to them with enough respect to say, I didn't react and just yell at you when you did that thing, but I went back and I took my time to consider how can I address this in a way that maximizes the likelihood that it will be productive. Here, be honest with yourself. Can you see yourself naming problems and moving toward them without tact in a way that doesn't work? Can anybody else see that? It happens most often with spouses. They did that wrong thing again, and instead of waiting You just burst out and you're yelling and it doesn't go anywhere good. Here Jesus is saying, be tactful, make a plan, wait and do not react, consider the best way and the best time. Maybe you need to write a note to yourself and get your ideas down. Uh, Don't just start yelling, be specific. Listen, if it's the coworker, don't make a snarky comment at the water cooler. Are there water coolers still in offices? Probably not. I don't know how to translate this into Zoom, so I'm not even going to try. Schedule a meeting with them when it's just the two of you and then go into it with a plan where you say to the coworker, hey, this is something that I've noticed and I just need to bring this up. You don't bring it up at the staff meeting with everyone else there. If, if, if it's your daughter who's been disrespectful, don't bring it up at the dinner table with everybody there and her brother there, but in a gentle and in the right way, put your hand on her shoulder and say, there's something I need to talk with you about. Can you picture this? Can you picture this? This is the kind of tact and love that Jesus teaches us to extend toward the people who have become problems for us. And it's designed to maximize the likelihood that we will protect the relationships that God wants us to have to thrive in. And it's the same with every matter in your life right now that requires attention. Remember Proverbs 16, 20, right? The person who attends to a matter will prosper. That's a promise. With relationships and work and family, whatever it is. Happy are those who trust in the Lord. It's a good thing to try to picture that. It is. To picture yourself with those problems there, because they're there, and yourself down the road happy instead of miserable because you've learned to trust the Lord in it. Now, I know this for sure. Some of the problems that are in your minds right now are the ones that make you think, I can't do it. 
Maybe if it was this other thing, but if the pastor knew the anxiety that I struggle with, or if the pastor knew the health issues, or if the pastor knew the way the kids are going, or whatever it is for you, I know that I don't know, okay? But I also know that Jesus anticipates the situation being beyond you to manage in the fourth step that he names. Okay, this is the fourth strategic step. Look again at the last thing that that we have up there that he says. When he imagines them going and talking to the other person, look at what he says. If you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you. Now, my guess is if you've been hurt in a church environment and all this time you've been thinking about that other person who sinned against you and you're thinking, well, of course, what he doesn't know is I went to them and it didn't work. Here, Jesus knows that at least half of the times it does not work on the first try. It doesn't work if they don't listen to you. Why? Because people care about their egos. People don't like to admit they did the wrong thing. Everybody. You know that person who's so difficult, they're always defending themselves? They're a lot like you. I mean it. We, we often don't work it out on the first try, but here Jesus anticipates that chances are, if you take his guidance, name your problems, move toward them, even with all the tact that you can manage, it's likely it's still not gonna work. And so here's the last step, bring help. Don't bring help the first time. You don't wanna overwhelm somebody, but bring help. Bring a few others along with you. If that person if it is a relationship issue, isn't a Christian, doesn't share your faith, do not say to them, you sinned against me. They're not gonna listen to you. If they are a Christian, maybe you need to start saying that. Maybe you've only ever said it's a bad behavior. You, I don't like this. Maybe you say, look, I, honestly, I feel like you're treating me with so little dignity. It's a sin. You can say that. Might, might need some help with you. You reach out to a counselor and get some help. Ask a pastor to come along. Strategize with some Christian friends. If you're in a community group, open up and tell them, this is the problem that I've been ignoring and I need your help. Would you guys help me? The reason I'm telling you to do that right now is that the way that God has designed us as followers of his is that we should be disciples together with the church. The church in Greek, that's called the ekklesia. It means the called out gathering. And all around you right now are people who are meant to be helpers for you in the problems that you can't manage on your own. And maybe you've never thought about people in church that way. Maybe because you've been burned before opening up and trying to uh, entrust your problems with others. If so, I can't even imagine how hard, actually, I can't imagine how hard that is because I've lived through some of that too. But don't let the enemy keep you from accepting the gifts that are all around us in one another to receive the help that God means us to give to one another so that we can receive God's help for the problems that we can't manage on our own. You know this. Listen, the church, maybe you don't know this, is called the body of Christ. Have you heard that before? Every part of the body suffers when one part is struggling. And so we are called to be there for the rest of the body, in Jesus' word, to love one another as God has loved us. Now, if you know how God loves you, think of it. He loves you just as you are with all of the problems that you are still ignoring, with all of the habits that need to be improved. He loves you like that. You are called to love others around you like that as well. And if we would take this to heart, if we would do this, and I'm talking about all of us together now, then this is what we should anticipate, that we'll have enough courage to short-circuit this collusion between these two and then name the problems that are right there 
And instead of going away from them, move toward them and, and with all the tact that we can muster. And when it doesn't work, seek the help of others around us. And, and listen now, this is the last thing I'm gonna say this morning. If you're too shy even to do that, you should know that Jesus promised to be with you as your helper dwelling within you by faith. When he was about to go to the cross, the disciples were in despair about his departure. And he told them, it's good that I go away. I will send you a helper. Does some of you know this passage in the end of the Gospel of John? Sometimes it's translated paraclete. That's the Greek word, which means the called alongside one. Try to imagine that. The one that God calls to be on the journey with you, right beside you. Or the helper, or the advocate. Jesus Christ dwells within all who open their hearts to him in faith. If you've never done that, you should do that right now. And just silently in your own heart, you should say, all right, God, I open my heart to you. Jesus, I open my heart to you. And if you think right now, well, what am I supposed to give in order to receive him in me? All you have to give is your desperate need for him. <laughs> That's all he requires is empty hands that say, I can't manage. And by the way, that is one of the main reasons people get stuck in the habit of ignoring their problems is because they are too proud to say, I need help and I can't manage. And I know this because I do it too. But if you'll open your heart to him, he's right in there, right there with you to give you help at every step of the way. So one last time, what are the things that right now God is calling you to pay attention to that you've been ignoring? How do you need to put a, a, a real fine point on what those are? It might not be someone else's sin against you. It might be your own sin. But, but let it come into your mind. Don't run away. Those who are attentive to a matter will prosper. Be tactful and bring help. I said one more thing. I got one more. Is that okay? Yeah. It's a direct challenge to everyone who, who is working at following Jesus right now. And I mean this. Help the people around you. I mean it. The pastors at the church can help. We can't even provide a fraction of what's needed. God wants you to help the people around you. Do you hear me? I'm, I'm speaking directly to you. I see your faces. I know who you are. <laughs> let's help each other. Agreed? All right, let's pray. God, we love you so much for the help that you give us. First, through the gift of yourself in Christ that you would see us in such desperate need and you would choose not to regard equality with God as something to be grasped but would humble yourself and you would become obedient all the way to the cross. It's overwhelming to think of. Oh, would you give us a sense of the joy of what it cost you to save us. Fill us with gratitude right now to know that we were the ones who habitually turned away from you but you never have turned away from us. That in Christ, every one of your promises is yes, and amen, so that we can be assured that you are with us to help us. God, we first of all thank you for that. Amen. Thank you for that, God. And then we thank you that in your word, you lay out in wisdom and truth what we need to see in order to walk on the paths of life, the ones that you have set out before us, the ones that you desire to see us walking on, the ones that you died so that we could go on them. Every person who's dealt with shame and hurt this morning because of their own patterns break through and assure them of your love. If, if you are calling any one of us this morning to be the way that you break through to another person, take away whatever would hold us back. If we need to put our hands on the shoulder of the person beside us right now as a sign of your abiding love and presence, move us to do it. Help us be your hands and feet. If anyone's hesitant to trust you, 
Remove whatever barriers are in their way and make them become a fully invested follower of yours. And then build up this church of yours, which you love because of what you've called us to do, to help invite and inspire others to love and serve you. Give us the power to do that. Help us break free of the habits that keep us from it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.